Well, as I said, um, two weeks ago on Sunday night, we dealt with um, an issue that I wanted to I wanted to teach on for a long time, and that is what happens to children when they die. And so we dealt with that. And then last week we looked at prayer, and we uh, really dove in and spent just a little bit of time looking at uh, the complexities of prayer and why it's important and, and why would we pray to a God who already knows things and does God change His mind and all of those questions. We answered those. And so tonight I'm going to spend just a little time with you uh, talking about some things, again, that I feel are very practical, yet uh, also they're not uh, the sort of things that would be dealt with normally. And uh, I, I want you to... I don't want you to believe things and not know why you believe them. I don't want you to do things and not know why you do them. I want you to be educated. I want you to understand. So tonight we're going to look at uh, ordinances for the family of God. And we're going to begin in Luke 22. So if you'll grab your copy of Scripture, open to the book of Luke, chapter 22. I guess we could have just waited until I preached on this text, but that would be about 2025. So we might as well just go there now. It's page 1214 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And we'll read this passage of Scripture uh, dealing with the Lord's Supper. And we'll spend a few moments talking about some practical issues about ordinances. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. We there? Let's read together. Luke 22, 14. The Bible says, When the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took up the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19. And then he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given to you, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Scripture. We thank You, God, for the amazing privilege it is to participate in the Lord's Supper. Father, will You help us understand? Help us understand some things tonight maybe that we haven't considered before. And God, help us to serve You, honor You, love You, God, relate to You in a more intimate way because, Lord, of our deepened understanding. But God, we know that won't come tonight unless You help us. So will You give us ears to hear And, Father, will you speak through me and help me, Father, to communicate your truth to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Lord's Supper or communion, uh, which we'll celebrate tonight, and then this coming Sunday morning we're going to have baptism. So I thought it was good for us to talk about these these two ordinances together and maybe just uh, learn some things about... uh, why we do them, how they relate to one another. And I have spoken on this uh, topic before, but tonight I want us to to see some some things maybe from a different light. But like I said, really one of my concerns is that we would do things and not know why we do them. And uh, I really like to inform you. I like to try to... I know the things that I struggle with. I know the things that I have questions about. I know things that as I was growing in my faith, no one ever uh, told me. So, for example, um, you know, one, one time 
uh, we were going somewhere with some teenagers and, and one young teenager asked me, Brother Tony, how come Christian people have that fish symbol on their car? I don't know. Because uh, we're supposed to be fishers of men. Because um, it has something to do with the loaves and fishes and feeding the 5,000. And you know what was amazing to me is most people have no idea why we have a fish symbol on our car. They don't know that the Christian fish symbol is, uh, is a... It comes from a Greek anacronym, ichthus. And the anacronym means uh, God's Son, Jesus, sent as the Savior. And if you, in the Greek, if you take that and break it apart, then it's, it spells ichthus, which means fish in Greek, which is why we do that. So now you know that. So I don't know how you're going to remember ichthus, but at least you know that. And so my point is, is that we stick things on our cars and we say things and we do things, but we don't really give uh, attention to why. We don't explore what it is about the things that we do and why we do them. And so, um, especially when it comes to symbols, symbols cause us a little trouble in, in Christianity because we're not really sure what's a right symbol, what's a wrong symbol. What, but here's what you need to understand about symbols. Symbols are powerful. They're powerful. And God gives us symbolism, specific symbolism, like the Lord's Supper for a very specific reason. Let me, let me just uh, explain to you for a moment the power of symbolism. I want you to think with me about something. You know, if you go to a sporting event, before the sporting event starts, they're going to have everyone stand and take their hat off and cross their hand across their chest and face the American flag and sing the national anthem. And you know what? Most of the time, people would just sort of robotically go through the motions of that. Have you ever stood next to somebody who has a son or a daughter fighting as you sing the national anthem and look at the flag waving on the pole? Have you ever stood next to a, a, a veteran and watched that experience? Has there ever been a moment where you were looking at the flag and you just became overwhelmed with gratitude of all those who have sacrificed and given their lives for our country and our freedom? Because that's the power of a symbol. Have you ever seen one of those same um, maybe military veterans or someone like that respond to people who are being disrespectful during the singing of the national anthem? You know why? Because symbols, power comes from the degree to which the person has been affected by the symbol. And so as we talk about the Lord's Supper, what you've got to understand at the outset is the symbolism of the Lord's Supper and the way you relate to what will happen here in just a few moments has everything to do with how you've been impacted by what it is the symbol stands for. And the greater degree to which you understand what actually is taking place and what we actually celebrate in the Lord's Supper, or in baptism for that matter, has everything to do with the way we respond. You know, for me, it's hard to imagine. But I do know that, that people do sit in churches and watch people get baptized and just sort of ho-hum, watch it go along. That's a shame. 
And there's been times where I felt like that baptism sometimes was just something we just sort of, you know, it was just an, uh, an addendum to what we were doing or something like that. You know, we just kind of tack it on and, and flow them through the water. And that bothers me. It ought to bother you. It's important. It's important to God. There's a reason why we have these things in the body of Christ. And there, there's meaning behind it. And there's a lot of confusion. And as you'll see, some of you have absolutely no idea that some of the things uh, go on today that are going on. And this will be uh, new information for you. And you'll be educated and be able to talk to people as these things come up. So let's talk first of all about these ordinances or as some people call them, sacraments. Because you need to understand that there's a huge difference between an ordinance and a sacrament. And so we call them ordinances because we believe they are ordinances. But some people call them sacraments because they're talking about a totally different thing. So they may be talking about communion. But if they think it's a sacrament, it's a totally different thing. So first of all, let me give you a definition of a sacrament. A sacrament, very simplistically, is an outward or visible sign of an inward grace. So when a denomination calls the Lord's Supper, for example, a sacrament, they believe that within the, Lord, the, the partaking of the Lord's Supper, there is an inward grace that is received. There is a divine grace within the elements that is received by the person who is taking them. So Catholics, for example, have seven sacraments. And communion, or they call it the Eucharist, is just one of those things. Baptism is one of them. Confirmation is one of them. So on and so forth it goes. Last rites is one of them. And so those are the Catholic sacraments. And so for, for hundreds of years, that was what the church practiced and believed. And it really wasn't until the Reformation that the whole Protestant or evangelical understanding of the ordinances after the Reformation what came to be known as Protestant or evangelical belief system came out and said, now wait a minute, there's really only two ordinances that are biblical, and that is the Lord's Supper and baptism, and so that's the only two things we're going to uh, participate in, that we're going we're gonna to propitiate within the, the body of Christ. But, you know, the Catholic Church continues. And so I want to just help you understand some of these things as maybe you get the opportunity to talk to people who are of a different faith or are a little bit confused about the difference between a, a sacrament and an ordinance. So I actually spent some time reading the Catechism of the Catholic Church because I just, you know, I've read it before and I was just interested in some of these things. And so I uh, pulled out a few statements. And, and in particular, this comes from Article 3 of, I believe, the second uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church. And here's what it says verbatim. It says, I quote, In the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist, the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the whole Christ is truly, really, and substantially contained. Meaning within the Lord's Supper. It goes on to state this, This presence is called real by which is not intended to exclude the other types of presence as if they could not be real too, but because it is presence in the fullest sense, that is to say, it is a substantial presence by which Christ, God and man, make Himself holy and entirely present. The Eucharist is thus a sacrifice because it represents or makes present 
the sacrifice of the cross because it is in its memorial and because it applies its fruit. Holy communion separates us from sin. The body of Christ we we receive in holy communion is given up for us and the blood we drink shed for the many for the forgiveness of sins. For this reason, the Eucharist cannot unite us to Christ without at the same time cleansing us from past sin and preserving us from future sins. Now let me just help you for a few minutes. I mean, obviously I could spend five hours refuting the, what I just read. But just in a very simple way, let's just think through a couple of things. Number one, if the body and blood of Christ is represented in the Lord's Supper, if that were to be true, which it is not, but if it were, then what the Catholics are saying is that every time the Lord's Supper is celebrated... Christ is re-sacrificed, which utterly and completely negates the biblical teaching that Jesus died once and for all. So that cannot be true. Okay, just right off the bat, that's clearly wrong. Secondly, and probably even a bigger problem, is that to say that there's some saving power within the Lord's Supper will totally skew your understanding of salvation. Everything that you and I know to be true about biblical salvation becomes questioned when forgiveness of sin comes through communion. I mean, that just cannot, cannot, cannot be true. It cannot. But you see... Many of the people that you talk to, many of the people that you might talk to about communion or the Lord's Supper, they may engage a conversation with you and the whole time you're talking, they're agreeing with you, but they believe it to be a sacrament. They believe that there is some divine grace that is imparted through the taking of the Lord's Supper and you simply believe it to be an ordinance. It's just simply something that God has has commanded us to do. And so... Baptism, for example. There's lots of confusion about baptism. Baptism simply demonstrates our initial identification with Christ and His church. So that's, that's what baptism does. It is, a, it is a symbol. It is a demonstration. And we, we get that from multiple places in the New Testament, but primarily from the Great Commission where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we see that God has commanded us to do that. Therefore, it is an ordinance. It's been ordained by God that the church of God would do that. The Lord's Supper is simply celebrating our continual identification. Okay? So baptism is a symbol of the initial identification. The Lord's Supper celebrates the continual identification with Christ and His church. Now, if you want to sort of understand, a good way to understand the way that baptism and the Lord's Supper relate to one another is baptism is very much like the wedding ceremony and the Lord's Supper is very much like the anniversary that we celebrate of our weddings. Now, Obviously, there's some differences. Primarily, we don't celebrate the Lord's Supper once a year like we do, uh, most of us do for our anniversary. Some people can't remember it 
sometimes, and maybe it's every other year. Shame on you, if that's you. But really, I want you to think for a moment about how does that sort of just flesh out in your heart as you think about these things? Because there are people... In this church, I've had many conversations with people who struggle with, with, the, with baptism or struggle with the Lord's Supper. And here's what I always say. Well, first of all, I say pertaining to baptism, okay, the Lord's commanded us to do this, to follow Him in obedience and what He did. And then I begin to talk to them about, now, what would it say? What would it say about an individual who wanted to claim you? Ladies, how about this? Is there, is there a lady here who would testify that it would be okay for a man to claim you as his wife, but just sort of skip the whole process of getting married? Would that be okay with you? I mean, would you feel good about that? I don't think so. I don't think so. And you see, to, to negate baptism... Is almost to, to, to relate. I mean, it's, it's, there's all sorts of theological problems with this, but just in a practical nature. I mean, maybe there's some people in here tonight and you haven't been baptized. Here's what I want you to understand. You are in sin. You're in violation to God's command. And here's what's so dangerous about being where you are. Is that you, you feel like you're walking with the Lord... And what you're essentially saying to him is, number one, I don't really care what you've told me to do. But really, more heinous than that is, I'm embarrassed of you. I don't publicly want to claim you. And I I would freely confess to you that I wish someone would have sat down and taught me about baptism prior to my own personal baptism. I wish I would have understood more about what was going on. But I can tell you this. There is, a, there is a change in the trajectory of one's sanctification after baptism. God honors our obedience to follow Him in believers' baptism. I have seen, there are some of you in this room that I've walked through the process of, that you have, had, had grown up believing you were saved and gotten baptized and a lot of time passed in your life. And then as years later, you came and talked to me and we talked about the fact that you feel like that actually you have been saved since then and you needed to get your baptism correct. And, and so as a grown person who's been in church all your life, you know, and it was just a strange thing. And you you were kind of like, you know, Brother Tony, I don't know. It's just kind of strange. And I would just encourage you. I said, you know what? God's going to bless this. It's going to be good. And so you walked in obedience and followed the Lord in baptism. And maybe it had been a long, long time between your salvation and your actual baptism. But you followed through and God honored it. He honored it. And so I want to encourage you tonight. Baptism is, is a phenomenal privilege. And, and you know, some people are, are really shy like me. And you don't want to be in front of people. And you're embarrassed. And, and I understand that. And I'm not negating the fact that that's not true. But listen to me. Oh, to be obedient to Christ and to, to get past your fears and your trepidation, and no matter who you are, no matter what position you hold, Listen, if you feel like you've come to Christ at a later time and, and when people talk about baptism, you get this little check in your spirit, I would really strongly encourage you. You need to surrender to that and follow the Lord in believer's baptism 
It will radically affect your growth as a Christian. God will bless that. So it's an ordinance. An ordinance is really a prescribed outward and visible symbol performed by or celebrated by the church of Jesus Christ. Um, And these are just loose definitions, but I just want you to kind of get an understanding of an ordinance. It just essentially means that God has prescribed this within the church. And I'm going to get into some detail about this, you know, as we go. But that's what an ordinance is. A sacrament is to say that there is there's some there's some spiritual things going on in baptism or in confirmation or in the Eucharist or communion or something like that, that there's some something's being conveyed from God to us which you could not show me in Scripture. Uh, you could not show me because it's not there. So, why are we having this talk? Well, here's why. Because there are some things that are going on with, with, with ordinances in the church these days, especially with young people. Um, there's a lot of trends that have to do with the Lord's Supper and baptism with young uh, Christians who get married and who are raising families and want to do all these creative things with them. And, you know, at the onset, they sound like, you know, good ideas, but they, there's some danger, and I want us to see that. Uh, I want you to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, this verse will come up on the screen, I believe, that the Apostle Paul, and really, if you want to see uh, an in-depth teaching on uh, the Lord's Supper, you can find that in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and 11, really in 11, but he begins the conversation in 10. And you can really get some understanding as to what, as God is writing to the church at Corinth. And, and Paul is, is really straightening them out on some issues pertaining to the ordinances. And so here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, the cup of blessings, blessing which we bless, it is not the communion, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And I want you to see that this word communion that's translated in our English Bible, it's really the word koinonia. And koinonia is this amazing fellowship that happens between brothers and sisters in Christ. Koinonia does not happen with you at work with your lost workmates. It doesn't happen with you and your lost neighbors. Koinonia is a very special term that's reserved for fellowship within the body of Christ, within believers, within those who who your spirit bears witness with their spirit. And I want us to see that because as we move into 1 Corinthians 11, which I'm going to read to you in a moment, I want you to see that Paul is laying this out and he's very strategically making sure that we don't get confused about what the intention is surrounding the Lord's Supper. So he begins by by using this term koinonia that sort of alerts us that this is amongst believers and this is for believers and this is to happen in the context of the body of Christ. And then he moves into 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, and he says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And, and, and understand that he had, he is, they have messed up the Lord's Supper in so many ways and they were only allowing certain people to do it within the church and, and some people were, were getting full and getting drunk and other people were going without. And so there was all these problems going on in Corinth and that's what he's responding to. And he says, so, so for I have received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. 
He says, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now that's important. Because what you see here is several things. Number one, the intention is he's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to a body of believers. And then he's telling them that what Christ did in this last Passover meal that we read in Luke chapter 22, what he did was he he said these things and he said, do this in remembrance. Now that's important. Because if... Something was being transmitted from God to me through the Lord's Supper. If this was, there was some saving power or some grace that was being conveyed from the actual blood or the actual body. If we were re-crucifying Christ every time we took the Lord's Supper. Would it be in remembrance of me? No, it wouldn't be. I mean, it would be, it would be, we would be actually experiencing it in that present time, wouldn't we? But you see, Paul is explaining that this is in remembrance, that, that we are, we are looking back on what this yielded in our lives presently. We're looking back to something in the past that is currently yielding something in our lives. So think about it this way. When he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the Lord's death with me for a second. Let's think about what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. Let's think about the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Let's think about the condition of those who initially said in Hebrew, Hosanna, who cried out that God would hopefully save me, that God would someday send the Messiah, that someday all our pain and our fear would be gone, that there would be a day when salvation could be known and grasped and received, that When Isaiah 53 was written, that was the condition. That was the condition. And here's what Isaiah says about this coming one, that he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was buried, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. It was by His stripes that we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, when you think about what Isaiah is saying, 800 years before the birth of Christ, and you take this 2,800-year-old prophecy and you pull it out of history and then you apply it into your lives... And then you begin to think with me for just one moment that we sit here tonight on a Sunday night. We sit here. We sit here comfortable. We sit here in confidence. Most of us in this room sit in confidence in who we are. We, we sit here having received this gift, having obtained this mercy, having, having the, the, the opportunity to know what it's like to lay your head down at night and to know that if you were to die and not awake, that you would be in the presence of a holy God by no merit of your own, that this prophecy is alive today in our hearts. That this, this God... This God is so amazing, so so incomprehensible that He would devise a, a strategy, a plan, this beautiful picture that he would, he would sacrifice what was most precious to Him and not just in any way. But that this, this God would be, would be beaten and humiliated for a people who were turning away. For people who were, who were robbing His glory, who were in the very act. I mean, caught red-handed. Our hand was in the cookie jar. That's the picture. That's the symbol. Listen, I'm all for the patriotic moment at the waving of the flag. I'm all for shedding a tear at the singing of the national anthem. I love my country, but let me tell you something. It doesn't compare to this love. This is an unbelievable love. This is a privilege and an honor. This is an unbelievable story that God has written. And He has involved His people. And He says that when you come to this table, when you partake of what's under this cover, which is white, by the way, for a reason. Because what was once scarlet, what was once crimson red, is now washed white as snow. And he says, you come. You come. And so tonight when we come, when you take that piece of broken bread in your hand, before you put it in your mouth, squeeze it. Break it in between your fingers. And think about what it represents. Think about the broken body of one who in an instant with the wave of his pinky finger could have obliterated every person who was perpetrating harm on him. Yet, he sat silent. And we come 
And so many times can just partake as if it's just another formality. You know, I, I don't know. I just wonder. I wonder if anyone came in here tonight. And in your heart, you never say it out loud, but in your heart, you walked in, you saw the tables, and you thought, oh man, the Lord's Supper. Maybe, maybe, maybe you never understood. Maybe you, you, you didn't know. But you do now. God's very specific about these two symbols. And if you think that a grumpy veteran will get aggravated at somebody who is being inappropriate at the raising of a flag or the singing of the national anthem, that's nothing compared to how God responds to people who inappropriately approach what He has declared to be symbols of His unbelievable love and devotion to His people. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we take this prophecy from Isaiah 53 and we implant it into our hearts and we, we recognize and realize the reality that it has in our lives today. And so Paul continues in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And he says, therefore, because now he's beginning to deal with these uh, issues. He sort of laid out what it's going to be. And then he says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? But let us examine. Let, let a man examine himself. Let a woman examine herself. Let a teenager look inside of himself. Let us all come into this place and think about what has gone on in our lives this week. What, what images have you looked at on TV and on the computer? What things have invaded your mind? What, what bitter thoughts? What hatred has come out of your mouth? What things has occurred in your life? And you think about, in light of Isaiah 53, the wretchedness and the darkness of your heart and my heart. And we come into this place. We come into this place tonight by the divine... Just invitation of the God of the universe who says, you come, come and eat at my table. But you examine yourself. And so let him eat this bread and drink this cup if he does so. But for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, when you come... You come lightly. You come treading easy. You come, you come, uh, in so many ways. It, it all boils down to pride, but in so many ways we can un, we can take part in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner by, by either elevating our own sin above the sacrifice of Christ, by, by coming before the Lord's table and just being so down and so defeated and so Really? As if to say, God, your sacrifice wasn't enough for where I'm at right now. You see, because it's about 
Isaiah 53. It's about the reality of Isaiah 53. And the reality of Isaiah 53 is that it's still playing out in your life and my life on a daily basis. Every day. Every day. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And to tread across that and to somehow lighten over that and to somehow mock that, to somehow come before that. Paul says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you. In other words, many are sick and even many sleep. They're dead. People just die from treading across this in, a, in an un, unworthy manner. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would be honest before the Lord, if we would just come and just take what God has done and confess our sin before Him and, and do this in remembrance of Him. Oh, celebrate it. See, I think we should come in and say, praise God, it's the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Jesus, it's the Lord's Supper. Wow! And we get to take the Lord's Supper. I get to, I get to meditate and think on, on all that God's done for me. I get to come and cleanse my heart out before Him. I mean, listen, God could have done it any way He wanted to. God could have said, every one of you, one by one, we're going to come up here and you're going to get the microphone and you're going to confess it out. And if you lie, you die on the spot. Who's first? He could have done that. But He did. He said, you, you come. You, each of you. On your own, you, you come. You bow before me. I, and, and He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows you. He said, you come. Talk to me. I want you to be reminded of how much I love you. I want you to be reminded of what I've done for you. I know it's hard out there. I know there's suffering in this place. I know that. But I'm bigger than that, God says. I love you. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for you. You're, listen, you're forgiven. Oh, you don't have to, you don't, you don't have to come. Oh, you don't know what I've done. Oh, it doesn't matter. You're forgiven. We saw that this morning. You're forgiven. You come. Because I love you. What an expression of love. What a, what, what, what a, what a, what a relationship of intimacy we have with a heavenly father that says, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to celebrate our anniversary once a year. We're going to celebrate it all the time. We're going to celebrate it one month in the p.m. We're going to celebrate it one month in the a.m. We're going to come together. We're going to be reminded all the time of our anniversary, of the moment you first met me. I've always known you, but there was a moment you first met me. There was a moment that your heart connected with my heart and everything changed for you and you were forgiven. You were born again. You had eternal life. It's good. And we're going to remember that. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate the fact that it's an anniversary. I mean, it's a celebration. Shame on us. God is so amazing. And He loves us so much. He says, you come. But listen, there, the, the, the Lord's Supper is, is for the body. Baptism is for the gathered body. 
And so I, I know that it sounds like a beautiful thing to take the Lord's Supper at, at a wedding. And I know that's the, the vogue thing to do these days, but it won't ever happen here because that's not what it's intended for. It's not, it's not for a wedding. It's for the church. That's what it's for. Because the church comes together and the church remembers what God has done for His people. And that's what God intended. Baptism is for the church. I mean, you don't go home and call me up and tell me to come over and hop in the pool in your backyard and baptize you. It doesn't work like that. It's for the church. It's for us together. So see, tonight, we're, we're the church. We're the gathered church. And though we have a multitude of people all over the place doing different things, this is the gathered body. And we come together and we celebrate what God's done for us. And we say, Lord, everything's not right because everything's never right. And there's things I'm struggling with and there's things you're struggling with and there's issues in my life and issues in your life and there's things we wish would have been different this week in your life and my life and all of us. You know that? All of us. But God, God gave it all up. All. He's all in. He sacrificed everything so that we wouldn't have to wonder And we can come here tonight and we can partake of this meal. And we can say, God, thank You. Thank You. Let's remember the day that we first met. Let's celebrate what it felt like to just know for the first time I was cleansed of all my sin. And God, let's just talk about all the failures that have happened in my life between now and then. But Lord, thank you. They are forgiven as well, Lord. You're so good. Your, your grace just knows no bounds. It knows no limits. And you just, you keep loving me and pursuing me and working with me. And you're patient with me and you love me. Because you're good. And here's your, here's your body that was broken for me. For me. And before I put this in my mouth, I just want to I just want to get my head around. You you did this for me. For me. And you celebrate that by taking it in. Then you take that cup of juice and you look at that and you imagine that cup flowing through the veins of the Son of God. You, you just think for a moment about, about the fact that He had to die for you and me to be able to be here tonight. He had to die. He said, now you come and you remember. You remember what I've done for you. You follow me in baptism. You celebrate who I am and what I've done for you. There's no saving power in baptism or the Lord's Supper. It's a celebration of what salvation has done. And so maybe tonight, maybe tonight you need to get baptized. Great. Just come and tell me, Brother Tony, I need to get baptized. Next Sunday you'll get baptized. And it'll be a glorious moment in your life. And I promise you, you'll look back at that time and you'll see 
things change. God will honor that step of obedience. Tonight, the Lord's Supper. Oh, it's a celebration. But listen, if you don't know Him, I cannot caution you strong, strongly enough. Please, 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 please. If you're not sure if you're a Christian tonight, don't dare take it. Because you tread across something He takes extremely seriously. Don't take it. Just pass it by. But if you know Him, take it. Celebrate it. Enjoy it. Eat it in. Drink it in. Because it's a symbol. It's a symbol that we live. We exist. Our Heavenly Father is so amazing and so wonderful. And every time we get together, guys, look, look at this. There's power. There's power in this. God looks down at His church and He sees His people remembering what He's done by these elements. He says, you, you go. Now, now come Monday. You just remember what happened here. You just remember what I've done. You just go home. Read Isaiah 53 a couple times. Let it settle over your heart. What can we not take? What has our God not accomplished for us? It's an ordinance. But it's really a privilege. It's an honor. It's a blessing. So together, let's take of it. Let's cleanse our hearts before God. Thank Him for what He's done. Let's stand and bow our heads. And for a moment, let's just consider this table. Consider what the Lord's done. Consider consider the fact that it's so easy for you and I at, at times in our life to be embarrassed of God. To be ashamed of what He's done in our life or to be ashamed to talk about Him or to, to bring His name forth. Just consider Him stripped and naked, covered with blood. Laughed at, mocked, spit upon. Ridiculed by the very people that He created in His own image. Father, how can we, Lord, how can we tonight not be overwhelmed, Lord, by Your grace and mercy? So, Father, I just pray right now, Lord. I pray right now for all my brothers and sisters here, God. I pray that we would all respond appropriately, Lord, to this moment and this time. God, whatever it is you're calling us to as individuals, Lord, I pray for, I pray for obedience. I pray for the love that you have shown us as your people to overwhelm our fears that will keep us where we are. God, draw your people unto you, I pray, Father. Lord, bring those who need to be baptized. God, bring those who need to receive you in salvation. And Father, may all of us bring our struggles and our faults and our failures before you and be reminded of the, the grace and the mercy that's found at the foot of the cross, Lord. 
So, Father, will you do in this time what only you can do and that you and you alone will be glorified.